Good morning. We have an amazing shepherd, don't we? Today we get to hear from Colossians 3, 1 through 11. So therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. Thanks, Forrest. Appreciate that. Good morning. There was an uh, amazing story uh, done by Vicki Medvick, who <clears throat> studied, studied uh, the winnings um, of medals uh, in the Olympics, studied all the athletes and evaluated uh, how they responded to winning bronze, gold, and silver. And one of the things that she found as she studied uh, thousands of athletes was that as, as she looked at the bronze medalist and the silver medalist especially, quantifiably what she found is that the bronze medalists were so much happier than the silver medalist. And she said what she came to understand is that the silver medalist were so discouraged because they almost had the gold. They were right there. And they had second place. And yet the bronze medalists were filled with joy and were happy because they weren't even sure if they were going to get on the podium. And they were so excited that they were part of this and and actually won a bronze medal. And their whole demeanor and their being... Uh, was so much greater. They were satisfied. The silver medalists were not satisfied. And that's what we see in Ecclesiastes. We see a life of Solomon who is living life and he's unsatisfied. There's a constant chasing after the wind, it's called. I'm pursuing all these things. I never get a hold of it. It's like the coyote chasing after the roadrunner. Never can catch it. How do we obtain the gold, real gold? Ecclesiastes 12 reminds us again, the conclusion of the matter, the answer to all of it in this pursuing of satisfaction, the ultimate gold is fear God and obey His commands. Everything else is a chasing after the wind. It's life under the sun. 
It's living with silver medals, totally frustrated, never filled or content. Solomon has been bringing to us an example of what life looks like when we leave God out of the picture, right? When we don't invite him to be at the center of, of our daily journey. And it's empty and it's, it's a vapor. He's showing us what life looks like when we intentionally kick God out of our lives, thinking that we can do it on our own, thinking that we can find satisfaction, and we're empty. We do not find meaning on our own. You see, Solomon tried it all. Reminds me of Ernest Hemingway, right? He did it all. He was the hunter. He he lived all over the world. He had the wine, the women, the song. And yet he ended up in incredible despair and took his life. Utterly unsatisfied with all he had. And Solomon's really bringing this out. Again, it's not meant to be a book that's depressing, although it feels that way often, right? It's meant to be a book that that takes a look at our lives and, and helps us to understand our need for a Savior, our need for God. Because when we choose to, to, again, kick God out of our lives, have nothing to do with God, we will end up like Solomon, chasing after the wind, utterly meaningless life, futile. Why bother? Why get up in the morning? When God has so much more for us, each and every day. We don't want to end up with a drawer full of silver medals. You know, it's interesting, as we've been going through Ecclesiastes, one of the things, and you may be like me, you go, Solomon was the wisest man in the world. God gave him that, didn't he? Wisest man ever. None before, none after, as wise as Solomon. And yet, as you read Ecclesiastes, you go, where is all the wisdom? Where is it? We're not seeing it, Solomon. And it's an honest question. And we're going to start to see this morning a little bit. He still ends up pretty dark, but then he starts to get a little glimpse of wisdom, and he's going to bring that to the table for us. Where's the wisdom in all of this, Solomon? Where do we find satisfaction? And so that's what we're going to ask for from the Lord this morning, for wisdom. Let's pray. Well, Father, I just pray as a body of Christ that you would help us. Help us to find wisdom. Father, we ask that you would give it to us. We we need it to face this life that we're in, this crazy world that we wake up to every morning. And so, Father, I pray that you'll pour that out upon us. I pray, Father, for those in this room that are longing for satisfaction. They have a drawer full of silver medals that that they would turn to you and start to find their satisfaction in you, Father, rather than all these other things they're chasing after. Forgive us, Father, when we pursue happiness and we pursue life outside of you. And so we we want to draw near to you this morning. And, Father, we know you draw near to us. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we give you this morning. May our hearts be open to you. In your precious name. Amen. As we, as we begin chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Solomon is really at the lowest point. This, this is a dark, dark chapter. It's, it's kind of like Solomon took this white canvas. 
he picked up a black can of uh, paint and he just dumped it all over the canvas and just black just drips all over it. That's what chapter 6 is. It's really probably one of the darkest chapters in all of Scripture, actually. And good morning to you. <laughs> and he is. He's brought to a, a low place. He's in a, he's in a dark hole. Again, he's been trying to find meaning in life, and he still can't find it. And so many of us try to do that. We try to find meaning outside of our Lord, our loving Lord, and we, we are empty. Jonathan Clement wrote in the Wall Street Journal, he said this, We may have life and liberty, but the pursuit of happiness isn't going that well. We constantly hanker after fancier cars and better, fatter paychecks. And initially, such things do indeed boost our happiness. But the glow of satisfaction quickly fades, and soon we are yearning for something else. Solomon says in chapter 6, as he begins, continuing in utter dissatisfaction, the glow of satisfaction fading. He's tried everything. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing at all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger or foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. He has everything but no joy at all. It is heavy upon mankind. It's not so much in the original language, not so much severity, heavy as severe. It's how frequent it is. What Solomon's saying is, I see this all the time. People have everything that the world can provide. I see it all the time, and yet they never get to enjoy it. It's life and the pursuit that doesn't include God in the middle of it. All the money, all the stuff, but no joy. You know, Rockefeller, towards the end of his life, he was, he was earning uh, a little over a million dollars a day. And that was many years ago, right? Wealthiest man in the world. Towards the end of his life, he was 100 pounds. And he really loved the finer foods and, and all these things. But the doctor said, you can only eat so much because it'll kill you. And so here's Rockefeller, the wealthiest man in the world. And every morning he would have just a morsel, a morsel of eggs, a little, little piece of his favorite toast. He'd have a sip of orange juice, one sip. Actually, he couldn't have more than a teaspoon. One teaspoon of coffee. And that's all he could do. All the things in the world, and he couldn't enjoy them at all towards the end of his life. And that's what he's saying. Possessions, stuff, things, they'll never satisfy our souls. It's only when Christ is at the center. And his heart... Is speaking about, again, our hearts of, of pursuing these things and, and not including God in the middle when God does so many wonderful things where he blesses us with material things. And he has so much joy for us if we seek his heart and how to use that stuff. There's so much life, isn't it? You guys know what it's like when you share stuff. 
Doesn't, isn't that life-giving? It's like, God's giving me this stuff. I love sharing it. And it just brings joy to others. And, 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 and you just glorify God together. But when you choose just to gather it all for yourself, it's nothing but death. It's not satisfying. But bringing it and your possessions that God has given you, coming to the Father with a thankful heart. Solomon's showing us what it's like when we don't come to God at all. And he goes on in this depressive, dark state. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but the soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. That's a pretty dark statement. For it comes in vanity and goes into darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or knows anything, yet finds rest rather than he. And even though he shall live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to one place. He's getting to this place where he's saying, why be born at all? That's a pretty dark place, isn't it? I can have all the children. Children were always known as a blessing from God. All these years of life to enjoy all of these blessings, still not satisfied, a huge hole in his heart. And when this man died, he did not receive a proper burial. We don't exactly know why. Possibly he was despised by his family. But being unburied has the idea in the culture that you are cursed by God. And then Solomon lays out some hypothetical thinking. If man can have it all and still be utterly miserable, then why be born and go through all the misery? It reminded me of of George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. George was going through some hard days and and work wasn't working out. And so next thing you know, he ends up drunk and suicidal and he goes to a bridge and he's ready to jump off and thank goodness Clarence shows up. Jumps into the river and George pulls Clarence, the angel, who hadn't quite got his wings, pulls him out of the river. But George says, if you remember, it would have been better if I wasn't born at all furthest thing from what is true, right? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a gift. Your life is valuable and has incredible purpose. The enemy loves whispering those lies. But I appreciate Solomon because he's, he does honest wrestling with us. We get sometimes to these dark places. And you just need to hear the Lord speak very clearly to you. No, it's good that you were born. And now, in the middle of this broken world, we're going to go through life together. Solomon's struggling. He's going, well, in the end, you know, those who've lived 2,000 years and had it all, and the stillborn, they both die. Death is the great leveler. But the stillborn doesn't have to go through all the junk. And that's his thinking. 
Solomon is saying all of these things, and he's leaving God out in the picture. It's life under the sun, right? And you've got to remember that. This is life where God is not included in his thinking, in his pursuits, in all of his being. And that is life without God. It brings you to a very dark place. And you go, what is it all about? It's life when you look at the horizontal and you look at broken humanity and it's empty and it's futile and all I have is a silver medal. When the truth is, you have life in Christ. There's life now, new life, eternal life with Him. There's life with Him because our Lord and Savior died on the cross for our sin. There's life in him because he rose again. He was resurrected. There's life again. New life. Because as we place our faith in him, as we trust him, as we invite him to be our Lord and Savior, we are a new creation. We are born again. This beautiful, valuable child of God. That's the truth. That's the good news. Solomon was kicking against that. And he found out what it looked like to not do anything and invite God to be part of his life. It's nothing but death. But the good news is, Christ is our life. It's a life filled with hope. It's a life that is satisfied. We actually do get the gold medal. We get the crown. Our hearts are full in Christ. Solomon's not ready to point that out just yet. And I think, again, one of the things I appreciate about this chapter 6, even though it's so dark, and I hope you'll see this, is as he's going through this spiritual journey, he really does show us and reveal to us our desperate need for God and his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he shows. And if you're desperate for God this morning, I want you to know he is waiting for you. And he invites you in and he offers you life this morning. Stop living like Solomon did. Because you know it's nothing but death. God gives you the gift of life. His son Jesus, the resurrected Christ, gives you the gift of life. Because when we choose to go away from him, we always have an appetite but we're never satisfied. That's what verse 7 says. We always have an appetite but we're never satisfied. You know, when Mount Vesuvius blew up in Pompeii and basically put those bodies in a frozen state, they found an interesting discovery. There was a woman that was frozen, and she was headed towards the gate. She was heading out of town, running towards the gate. And so with one way, she was facing this way, And yet, at the same time, she was reaching back. And so she was leaning back here. And they found her body frozen like that, going towards the direction of the gate of escape of life, and yet reaching back. And then as they kept unearthing and trying to see what was going on with this woman, here's what they found that she was reaching back for. It was a bag of pearls. It was a bag of pearls that had fallen to the ground. And as she's reaching back for that bag of pearls, she got caught 
in the volcanic ash, and she's frozen in that state. I could have had life. I chose death. And that's life without God. Always an appetite, never satisfied. Solomon's saying, this leads to nowhere. It's all vanity. It's empty. And it's almost as if Solomon starts to wake up a little bit. He starts to understand that he's arguing with God. And he's struggling with God. And and he goes on, he says, Whatever has come to be has already been named. It is known what man is. And that he's not able to dispute with the one stronger than he the more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life, which passes like a shadow? For who can tell what will be after his life under the sun? He's arguing with God, and he comes to this place like, who can argue? And why do I keep arguing against the stronger one, which is God Almighty? C.S. Lewis said this, It's really interesting, when you're arguing against Him, the Lord, you're arguing against the very power that enables you to argue at all. You're arguing against the one who gave you the ability to argue. You're not going to win the argument. Solomon is starting to gain a little wisdom and he's starting to realize that God is in control. Solomon's still in a dark place. He's in a complaining mood. He's arguing against the stronger one, but he's going, all my words, that's not going to change who God is. God has the best for my life. His timing for my life is perfect. We studied that in chapter 3. That he's sovereign over all of my life that he cares about my life, that he wants to give me life, that his hand is upon me, and I keep kicking against him, and I keep yelling at him, going, why did I get a silver medal? And the whole time the Lord is wanting to touch him and reach out in his love and invite him in and hold him and say, you're my beautiful son, Solomon. Why are you kicking against me? He's like Job who keeps trying to throw out words. And if you remember the conversation with Job and God, Job kept arguing against God, and God finally says, are you finished? And then he says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? I don't remember you being there. Do you want to know why? Because I'm God and you're not. And I have purpose for your life, Job. And Job, I'm with you right here in the middle of this stuff. It's painful, I know. But I'm doing a great thing in you. So stop talking and hear from God who loves you. As Solomon shares all these disappointments, and you know there's a lot of disappointments. There's questions that go unanswered. God is God and we are not. He's trying to awaken in his own life, and I think for us, this longing for God. Who can tell man what will come after him under the sun? What, what's after this life? A man who's fixed horizontally and his eyes are only here, he wonders, 
What's after this life? That's why, that's why I had us read, had Forrest read Colossians 3. Because it speaks to fix your heart and your mind on the things above. Don't you know that you are placed in Christ? Don't you know that your place is with Him in eternity? Don't you know that about you? So stop fixing your mind on these earthly pursuits. Fix your heart on mind and that which is true, the things of God. When we seek wisdom, we start to pursue the things of God. And one of the truths about God is, don't you know, there is stuff that comes after this planet run in such a way as to win the crown. And you will receive the, the crown and the glory of God. You will be with Him. Revelation 21 says, He who was seated on the throne, I'm making everything new. And then He said, write it down. Why? Because these words are trustworthy. They are true. The enemy keeps trying to defeat you. The enemy keeps trying to say, why bother? Your life now matters eternally. Your choices now matter eternally. God has this wonderful life for you now. And he also has this more incredible life for you eternally with him. Write it down because it's true. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I will give water to those who are thirsty. It'll come from the water of life. Those who are victorious, those who have run this race on this planet with life in Christ, here's the story. You are going to inherit all of these things, all of the fullness of God. You're going to inherit it. You're going to be there with Him. What comes after these days under the sun, Solomon? This is what comes after. But it's only when you seek after Christ and you have a relationship with the Son of God. Stop trying to fool yourselves that everybody just gets to go to heaven. You don't want God, you won't have Him eternally. You invite God into your life, you have Him eternally. You are placed in Him, He in you. Solomon's stuck with life under the sun, and now it's time to fix our eyes on the things above. Chuck Swindoll said this, Funny thing about us humans, we tend to run faster when we've lost our way. And when we do, wisdom waits. It refuses to keep pace with our frantic, maddening race to find happiness. Wisdom waits. We keep pursuing other things. And wisdom is patient. Solomon is describing life under the sun as mind has been there. And now in the second half of the journal in Ecclesiastes, over 35 times we're going to see wise and wisdom. And he's finally opening his eyes. Like, you know what? All this stuff I've been pursuing, it's not working. This life without God is absolutely empty. And so he starts to bring to the table wisdom, little bits of it. He's still in a little bit of a state of looking this way. And I think that's the honest journey, right, with a lot of us. But he starts to bring it, starts to focus on wisdom. Let's just take a a few of the 
out of chapter 7 of the comparative Proverbs. He starts to give us some Proverbs here. A good name is better than fine perfume. A good name is better than fine perfume. Only if Ryan Lochte had read this before the Olympics. An expensive perfume, the smell often pleasing, unless, of course, you put too much on at one time. Basically, a good name is more preferred than a pleasant aroma. Think about it when you walk into a restaurant. Most restaurants you walk into, you go, ah, that's a good smell. I'm hungry. It makes you hungry. But how do restaurants stay in business? It's the quality of the food. It's their name, their reputation that starts to go out. It's not so much just the the outward aroma of what's going on. It's the internal. An internal quality is better than external fragrance, is what he's saying. You know, I I think he was saying that when we looked at chapter 5 last week. You know, all of this perfume that's going on is a lot of times we come and, and we're, spraying on, we're spraying on this Christian aroma as we come into church. And it's just an external aroma when our hearts are hard, when we're nowhere near the Lord, when we're not coming to actually worship the Lord, we're just coming for a social club or whatever. And last week in chapter 5, he says, no, I don't want you to spray an aroma of Christianity on you. I want you to open your hearts to what God's going to speak to you today. That's what's more valuable. A good name is better than fine perfume. He goes on. And that day of death is better than the day of birth. And you go, wait a second, we love birthday parties. We celebrate those. The day of death is better. I think what he's getting at is, even like Paul said this, right? To... To live as Christ, to die as gain. That's what's good. To live as Christ, to die is gain. You know what? It truly is better to be with the Lord. But Paul says, the Lord still has me here in the flesh. He has purpose for my life while I'm here. It's good to seek after the Lord and what he has for us here. Yes, eternity is going to be awesome. We'll be in perfection then. Right now we live in brokenness. But Christ has value and purpose for our lives. And then he goes on. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Listen, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. All these verses kind of tie together. You kind of go, wait a second, it seems backwards. Death is better than life. The house of mourning is really the place, the funeral home is the place where wisdom comes. He's saying, listen, when you start to face the realities of life, when you take a, a good square look at what's going on in life, and you don't just try to, to stuff your belly, saying, you know, feasting at a banquet, going to the chuckle-rama and just get exploding from too much food, trying to escape by seeking after pleasure and all these things, 
That's not where you find wisdom. Where you find wisdom is when you go, oh my goodness, this is what life is all about. You know, in the house of mourning, isn't that the place where all of a sudden you wake up and you go, whoa, one day I'm going to be right here. I will die. So how am I going to live my life now? Where can I get wisdom from the Lord? Lord, give me incredible wisdom. Everything changes, doesn't it? Your perspective changes on life. Some of you have had near-death experiences. Doesn't that change your whole perspective on life? True story from the Titanic when it was going down. There was a woman who was just about to get into her lifeboat. The boat was already tilting at a pretty good degree, a dangerous degree. She's just about to get in, and she says to the one who was in charge of the boat, Oh, I need to go back to my stateroom I need something that's very important. He said, you can go back. You have three minutes. In three minutes, we're dropping the boat, whether you're here or not. So she runs back to her stateroom. She runs through the casino, which actually is loaded with money. She said it was ankle deep as I went through. She makes it to her stateroom. She pushes through all of her stuff in her room, her valuables, her rings and everything, to the back of the shelf. And there on the back of the shelf were three small oranges. And she grabbed the three small oranges, made her way back to the lifeboat, got on with her crew, and lowered back down into the water. You go, are you kidding me? Three small oranges? Life changes. Life changes when you realize, oh my goodness, there could be death. What's valuable now? How am I going to live now? What would be the wisest thing to have now? It would be sustenance. They didn't know how long they were going to be on those boats. For her and for those on the boat with her. Food. That's what she grabbed. You see, it's in that place where you really face life. And you look at it right in the face and you go, this is what is most valuable. Consider what God has done. That's wisdom. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? Basically, why are you trying to change what God is doing here? What wisdom is, is receiving from the Lord what He is giving to you. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider that God has made the one as well as the other. Wisdom says, don't resist what God is doing in your life. Let him speak to you, let him change you, let him mold you. And so Solomon gets to this place. As he's been in the dark hole, running life without God, and he's starting to realize, why do I keep arguing with God? Why don't I realize that when I fix my eyes on wisdom, on that which is above, that he starts to give me life, real life, true life. And then I need to seek after that on this journey of mine. Wisdom is like an inheritance. It is good. And so together we need to seek wisdom. Remember what James 1.5 says? It says, ask for it. Ask for it. And God gives it abundantly to you. If you need wisdom in your life, 
sit with your Heavenly Father and say, Lord, help me. I need wisdom. Don't try to figure it all out on, your, on yourself on this horizontal level. When we fix our eyes and our heart on that which is above, we receive life and wisdom as we move ahead. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? And that's what Solomon sums it all up. The conclusion of the matter, fear God and obey his command. That is not vanity at all. That is wisdom and that is life. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning for our body that you would pour out your wisdom on us. We need it. And Father, again, for those of us in this room who have been trying to live like Solomon, would you stir in their hearts? Would you draw them back to you? Would they know that you receive them right where they're at? That you forgive them and cleanse them? And like the prodigal, you can't wait for them to return. And so, Father, do that in the hearts of this body this morning. We thank you that you receive us in our brokenness. Father, thank you for wisdom. May we be people who fix our hearts and our minds on you. In your precious name, amen.